Cause it's a pain A destiny child You know it will be rocking Cause it's flipping insane It's just a pain A destiny child More precious than a diamond On a platinum chain Hello and welcome to The Pick The podcast that King Kong Ain't got shit on We are Sean Lemmy John Otney And Colin Westman and this week we're talking about the uh, 2001, not mega hit, but hit, success. Substantial hit. Training Day. Uh, the, the movie that uh, we all admitted to having not seen in the very first episode of The Pick. We've all seen it now, and we're going to talk about it. But first, as is customary, we should do some little picks. Little picks. Um, and I think I would go first because it was my pick um and so this week i wanted to talk about knives out the new ryan johnson movie it's been out for a few weeks now i've had a chance to see it twice um and at the very least the movie has me wanting to buy more sweaters for myself i thought you were gonna say <laughs> knives there aren't that i mean there are a lot of knives in the movie it's like a knife chair there's <laughs> yeah um there's really only two knives that like really matter in the film, though. Well, but... Just buy two knives that really matter. <laughs> well, I have one knife that really matters. Well, okay, then just need one more. Okay, uh, but everyone's wearing a great sweater. There's that whole hashtag about sweaters now. I forget what it is. Sweaters out, something like that. Mm. The sweater challenge, <laughs> um, where people just post pictures of themselves wearing amazing sweaters, and it makes me very jealous, especially of Daniel Craig. And he's like tweed suits and uh anyway i can't talk about sweaters this whole time this is the little picks um so if you haven't seen it, if you haven't heard of it uh knives out is sort of a agatha christie style whodunit detective movie um written and directed by ryan johnson uh who has done detective stories before uh he did a uh, brick which was uh, another like very like by the numbers noir film, but in a different context. In that case, he did it in the in the setting of a high school, a contemporary high school. Uh, and once again, uh, he's done that here, where he's telling this you know Perot style detective story, um, but very much making it contemporary. There are are scenes where the characters talk about um, you know Trump. There's one character who's a total alt-right troll. There's another character who's like a wannabe social justice worker, warrior. Uh, they talk about Netflix and tweets and Jewel and they quote Hamilton. Um, and I think it also has just a, a, a theme of uh, entitlement and tradition being bad and goodness ultimately... Uh, coming out on top that I think is resonant today perhaps more than it would have been uh, a few decades ago or certainly not the hundreds of years ago thousands of years ago millions of years ago I I got lost in that sentence (laughs) um but 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 I like what he does with this genre is it's more complicated uh, you know they call it the whodunit genre but it's more complicated than just figuring out who did the the murder in this case it's uh it's, it's a bit more moralistic um it also has got a great ensemble cast um 
just look at that poster for all the amazing people that are in it. I was a little uh, disappointed that uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Ricky Lindholm didn't have more to do in the movie. Uh, especially Lakeith Stanfield because he's in so many scenes in the film, but he doesn't he doesn't talk a lot. I feel like he just has a few good singers. That's about it. Even Noah Segan gets to do more. Yeah. Who's like Ryan Johnson's friend who's in like all of his movies, but uh-huh. no one really knows who he is. I think I figured out who Joseph Gordon-Levitt is, too. There's a scene early on in the movie where um, Anna Darmus' character's sister is watching a TV show, and you can't see it, but you can hear it, and I think the voice you're hearing is Joseph Gordon-Levitt's voice. Sounds right. Um, it's weird. Why didn't they just put him in this in an actual role? I feel like he hasn't been in a movie in forever. <laughs> Sad. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he gained a lot of weight, and he's not showing himself. Maybe until he can lose all the weight. You know, come at her. He's like, you know, back in the spotlight for the Sam Kinison biopic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. We usually just talk about the story and stuff, but I also I really appreciate the uh, to use a film school term the mise-en-scene of this movie there's you you see so much uh uh set dressing that that makes the the house memorable and um fun to be in i think ryan johnson is a great filmmaker um as someone who loves the last jedi i don't think he's ever made a movie i didn't like um although when i saw this with my dad he was like oh so this was like this, this filmmaker is like a one-hit wonder, huh? Which was a bitter reminder that my dad has not liked any of the modern Star Wars movies. Not even Phantom Menace? Not even Phantom Menace. It's got pod racing. I know. And, and he should love pod racing. But I guess not. Frank Oz shows up. That's cool. M. Emmett Walsh shows up. That's cool. I like Chris Evans' sweater and his cardigan and jackets and he his looks beard. Like a warm, cozy guy that he doesn't yeah. even have in this movie. Just in general, I just like the way Chris Evans looks. I'd like to look at Chris Evans more. And I was I was talking during the Avengers podcast about. I've had a reliable Chris Evans dosage at least once a year for like a decade now. Um, I'm worried about what life will be like without regular doses of Chris Evans, but he'll he'll keep finding roles. He'll keep working. I'm sure he'll be fine. Uh, I'm going to be quick with mine because it's a comedy special. It's Mike Birbiglia is the new one. It's a new Netflix thing. And I don't know. I feel like I can't talk too much about it because I hate it when people are like, oh, here's this bit. Let me and they do it for you. And they, <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. It's like, it's way off. And you're like, why is that funny? But basically the gist of this comedy special is Mike Birbiglia listing off all the reasons he should not have a child and not have a baby. Mm-hmm. And just like, I don't like, I have all these diseases. I don't like know anything. I don't know why it rains. <laughs> and it's just this big, long rambling like list. And then he goes into what it was like. Um, him and his wife trying to conceive and like he needed a special surgery where they had to like 
we're gonna like get into your abdomen and like cut some things and you want people to like walk for a week oh my god like, i don't even want a kid and you know it's just all this horrible stuff and you know he still sleeps in like a sleeping bag though now it's more like this weird elaborate like straight jacket thing that he sleeps in and he's like locked in a room with their cat because the cat can't get near the baby it's like his life just seems really tough but he has that kind of just like goofy like you know but it happens kind of like outlook on life mm-hmm. and it's just it's really hard not to to like him and it's almost like kind of sad and, but sweet in the same way because at the end it's kind of him coming to terms with being a father and how um, it does bring him some joy it doesn't seem like it's trending that way but it does uh-huh. so it was really really touching it's really good special uh, Mike Bigger he's like my second favorite comedian after Patton Oswalt yeah I feel like I haven't heard from him in, in a while well he had another Netflix special so uh-huh. I missed that one though just a few years ago was that after the um, Don't Think Twice movie? It was. I think the thing that's tough about Mike Birbiglia is he like it takes him a while because he develops these like very very long stories. Like I can't imagine him doing this every night. Like it's it's like a ninety minute continuous story. It has like <laughs> jokes. It's it's broken up like a stand up bit. But if this is like an album, I feel like it'd just be one track. Like it wouldn't make sense to break it up. So it's um it's weird. It's not like a conventional stand up. Hmm. Well, I feel bit. like he kind of considers his stand-up more like one-man shows rather than stand-up though it's i don't know it's hard to draw the distinction where where one ends and one begins i think so there's like some props and stuff in this too there's it's more than that's why it feels a little different i think one-man show is a good way to to put it it's like spalding gray except about pizza (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's hard to imagine him doing a set on late night or something. <laughs> yeah, but it's good, and it's only like 85 minutes. It's worth checking out. Because I didn't check out his last one because I forgot. How many <laughs> specials just go up? Like I don't even hear about them. They're just there. Yeah. That's just Netflix. And just boom, they're there. If only we knew someone who was in the comedy industry who could help direct us towards good comedy. Where are you going with this, Sean? Just it'd just be nice. <laughs> I think Shaw's just trying to get a listener to contact us and be like, "Hey, yeah, I can be your comedy in." We only have a few listeners. You know who you are. That one person. Come on, hook us up. Hook us up with the good shit. Colin, why don't you hook us up with your good shit? Or at um, least your little payout. Because, I mean, you could all watch it any time you want. Because it's another Netflix thing. I'm going to recommend Marriage Story, which dropped on Netflix on Friday. It's the newest film from Noah Baumbach, starring Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. As a married couple with a kid who... uh, decide that they don't love each other anymore and the movie basically just depicts them going through all the all the tumultuous kind of wrenching things that they have to do to kind of untether each other from each other's lives but also the fact that they also have to i don't know settle things amicably since they have a kid um and I don't know. I, I feel like it is kind of a culmination of the run that No Bombbox had the last few years of just making really insightful, 
funny movies about adulthood and also kind of feels like he's coming full circle because really the first movie that kind of i don't know set him on his path as a filmmaker was the squid and the whale um, which is a movie about i think kind of autobiographical about his parents divorce and now this movie feels like it's very much him wrestling with his own divorce from a few years back um and uh i don't know i just i just liked it a lot <laughs> even though it's it's like kind of a difficult subject but again bombach's very good at crafting these like very funny very real moments that are just like sad but i don't know i, I was laughing a lot despite how much uh i was also just like god getting divorced seems like it really sucks um just because like a surprising amount of is also dedicated to like the legal aspect of of getting a divorce you're saying it's not as fun as wedding crashers made it look um do they get divorced in wedding crashers and wedding crashers at the beginning they're professional mediators and you see them mediating a couple going through a divorce I shouldn't have brought this up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm always happy to talk about wedding crashers, even though I don't remember it that well. I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing this this marriage story. Finally picking a yeah. side. You know, Captain America, Iron Man, Scarlett Johansson, Adam Driver. It's basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the movie's gotten a little bit of criticism for the fact that it doesn't it doesn't really quite give Scarlett Johansson's side of the story as much attention, which is probably just a thing that Noah Baumbach just can't quite do because he was on the male end of his own uh, divorce experience. But even so, I, I feel like it it's not like giving her the, the short end of the stick. You You still see where she's coming from. In both these characters, you see that, like, I don't know, that they're, they're very kind of difficult and being shitty throughout the movie, but you also understand that you're seeing them at their worst. I, I think there's even some line in the movie where the lawyers are saying that seeing a couple going through a divorce is like seeing good people at their worst, and you kind of feel that. Especially because, like, the the opening moments of the movie are basically just showing you all of the things that the two couple like once loved about each other. And you kind of get that. You see where the warmth originally came from and where all that love came from originally. But then the movie just slowly shows you how it all kind of unraveled. Anyways. Do you think this is the big transition for Scarlett Johansson? She's played a mom two movies in a row. Is she moving on to mom roles? Um, possibly. It's weird though, because she's still not that old. <laughs> it's it's so weird how Scarlett Johansson like seems like she's been around forever, but she's only thirty five. <laughs> I think yeah, it's just she's... because she's been an adult in movies for so long. Like, she she seemed like an adult in Lost in Translation, even though she was only like eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, 
I think that's why. <laughs> she was in a shitty marriage. She's come full circle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, should we come full circle and talk about training day? I think we should, but I'd like to talk about real history for a little bit first, if that's okay. Cause what kind I, of real history? I wanted to look into the history of the LAPD and the scandals that have rocked it. And I, I did some research. Um, because going into this, I really just, I knew about Rodney King and OJ, but, um, more from the, like, people's reactions to it and less from what the LAPD was actually doing. Um, so let me tell you guys about stuff like the Christopher Commission and the Rampart scandal. Unless that sounds boring or stuff everyone already knows. If you did the research, go ahead. So the Christopher Commission was formed after the Rodney King beating video was released to the press. And what it was, it was um, an independent commission that was brought on to investigate how the LAPD conducts itself. And what it found was that a lot of police officers in the LAPD use excessive force and that the management didn't report it or didn't investigate it when these things were What year are we talking here? So this is right after Rodney King, so in 1992. Is it like a reaction to that? Uh, To the video, not to the riots. Okay. Um, And so what they found was that out of over 2,000 allegations of excessive force by the LAPD, um, only 42 allegations were sustained, Mm. um, which is a hilariously low number. Um, And of course... Things got even bad, uh, uh, even more bad as the the Rodney King verdict came out, which, as we all remember, is four police officers were acquitted for beating him up, and that sparked the uh, the L.A. riots, um, which lasted for a week, and the military had to be brought in to to end it. And again, like thousands of people were injured, and dozens of people were killed during that whole situation. So that has to be um, something that's kind of in the back of your mind for the the way that the LAPD was perceived as part of the community at this point in time. On a national level, it was seen as corrupt and violent and not representative of the people um, that actually live in the city. Um, and then in the late 90s, the Rampart scandal broke, um, which showed really how fucked up things were um and this is something rampart is about no the movie rampart (laughs) is contemporary but it's 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 sort of about like it takes place in the 90s oh well then maybe maybe i 1999 though so i don't know so that would be right after the rampart scandal broke um great uh reddit conversation about rampart Mm -hmm. if you're not familiar so like this is the thing I'd heard about for a long time but didn't understand. So here's what it is. So the Rampart Division is one of 18 uh, divisions in South Central Los Angeles. Um, it It is in charge of neighborhoods like Silver Lake and Echo Park, P3, 
Pico Union and Westlake. I don't know what any of those are. Colin, does any of those names mean anything? I know what some of them are. I mean, Silver Lake and Echo Park are like, it's where like hipster people live. (laughs) But it might not have been that way in the 90s. That's just the way it is now. In the 70s through the 90s, those were uh, some of the the most uh, violent, you know, gang-heavy places in L.A. Oh, yeah, there's a Bosch book about Echo Park. (laughs) Is there a Bosch? I do. Is that still going? Is what, the books? Or or the show. show There was a show with Titus Welliver. Uh, Okay, Sean, do you remember what Bosch's first name was? Is it Hieronymus? It is Hieronymus. Like the painter? Isn't that great? He just has the same name as the Hieronymus painter. Hieronymus Bosch. Is Bosch still going? That was definitely like when I worked at Barnes & Noble. I was like, do you guys have Bosch? Um, <laughs> like, what? You can watch it on Amazon Prime, right? It's still going. Yeah. 50 episodes strong. And in coming in greater numbers. <laughs> um, so, uh, obviously gang violence and and the drug trafficking problem got bad in Los Angeles. Um, and so the LAPD created a program called Community Resources Against Street Hoodlums, or CRASH. Oh, sweet. Wait, is that a movie too? Is that any of the movies called CRASH? Yeah. Oh, that's what it is? Yeah. Okay. Um, and every single division in the LAPD had a CRASH unit. And they were given a long leash to uh, police narcotics and gang crime in the city. Uh, The most famous thing that Crash did was, uh, starting in 1987, they they had something called Operation Hammer, which was a massive show of force where they were rounding up suspects of uh, of gang violence and, and drug trafficking. Um, during Operation Hammer in one weekend, uh, almost 1,500 people were arrested. Uh, between 1987 and 1990, over 50,000 people were arrested in crash raids. Um, and despite, you know, literally tens of thousands of people being arrested, um, the number of people that face charges is uh, thought to be only in the dozens. Jeez. Wow. Um, but we're, we're specifically interested in the Rampart Crash Division because that is the one that Rafael Perez works in. And Rafael Perez, uh, someone who grew up in L.A., joined the Marines, came back, became a cop, uh, and in the mid-90s was transferred into the Rampart Crash Unit. Um and he gained a reputation for being a great police officer. He was tough. He was efficient. Uh, he spoke Spanish, which was an asset. And uh, he knew a lot about the gangs. Um, and his great career was cut short in 1998 when he was caught stealing six pounds of cocaine from the police evidence locker. Um, <laughs> by the way, six pounds of cocaine is worth like eight hundred thousand dollars that's a lot of cocaine um and and the the story is that he wasn't even stealing it to sell it he was stealing it to frame another cop um, 
But anyway, um, Perez is arrested and eventually... Uh, That's a link fun for later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I get... Sorry, uh, I shouldn't be laughing at this part of the podcast. I'm talking about this corrupt police officer. Go ahead. He, uh, he eventually agrees to uh, admit to all of his crimes... Do you, do you just want to say it, John? We're not even there yet. I'll, I'll, talk, I'll tell you what it is so I can talk about it later. So there, I, there's this site called Villains Wiki. <laughs> and I found Denzel Washington's like uh, page on it. And it's just like, it's this page and it says like, evildoer. It has like his skills <laughs> and his hobbies and his crimes and his type of villain. <sighs> I'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. It's going to be really great. Yeah. I got a lot looking at the page because it makes me laugh. Um, so Perez got he made a plea deal. He got immunity in exchange for admitting to his crimes and also for snitching on all the other um, crimes that had been committed by uh, Rampart police officers. Mm-hmm. So uh, he named names of seventy police officers. Um, as for himself, um, he uh, admitted. Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't think he had to publicly admit to anything but stealing the cocaine. But Perez uh, is uh, later, I think, found guilty of framing a, a gang member named Javier Ovando, um, and that person would go on to receive the largest police misconduct settlement in LA history. Uh, and also, surprising to me, um, Perez is also considered one of the people that maybe killed the notorious B.I.G. Oh, wow. Um, the, supposedly, he was a member of the Bloods and was hired by Suge Knight to carry out that hit. But we don't know for sure. So 70 police officers are implicated in wrongdoing. Uh, again, it being the LAPD, only 58 of them were brought before an internal administrative board. Only 24 of them were actually found uh, to have committed any wrongdoing. Um, of them, seven got to retire early, uh, and 12 were given suspensions. So out of that original 70, only five were actually fired as uh, uh, as part of the Rampart investigation. Jeez, they must have been pretty bad dudes. Um, but over 106 uh, criminal convictions were overturned and um, well over 100 civil lawsuits were brought against the city as a result of this scandal, which ended up costing the city more than $100 million. Mm-hmm. So I bring all this up because I want to give the specific context that Training Day was made in uh, and to talk about this Rafael Perez character because he is very clearly the inspiration for Denzel Washington's performance in Training Day, even though this script was written before the whole scandal was uh, made public. So it can't be... You can't say that it was written directly in a response to the scandal, but it, it definitely similar, it's, it sounds very similar. That's crazy. That's like if you told me Lakeview Terrace is based on a true story or true events, and it might be. I think for me, one of it, one of the interesting things about all that was how many movies came out of all these events. And uh, the Shield, I brought it up when I was when we watched it. Um, the Shield is very much. Uh, it's basically about a crash unit in a downtown LA police office, yeah. and and Vic Mackey is very much this character wow. 
but he doesn't have the beard. That's the, that's the thing that stood out to me was that he has the exact same beard that Denzel yeah, has yeah, in the movie. Like a, and a lot of Bosch novels. You guys want to take a guess as to how many Bosch novels there are? 18. Colin? 30. 21. I should expect someone always overguesses by quite a bit. That's not that much, but still. He's like retired now, though. But he's still doing it. Bosch is or the writer? Bosch is retired. Oh, also, fun fact. The Lincoln lawyer is Bosch's half brother. Really? Hmm. Same author, so it's like I'll just make them brothers or something, whatever. <laughs> it's a shared Bosch universe. The Boschiverse. Can't wait. One guy's putting away the you know the corrupt people. The other guy's defending the corrupt law people. and order. The law and order expanded universe. Not to be confused with the other law and order expanded universe. Law slash order. I'm sorry. That is. Training Day! Yeah, I think the other piece of context that affects Training Day is it came out, it was originally slotted to come out September 21st, 2001. Oh, wow. Um, it, it was delayed into October, but I'm surprised that it did as well as it did, given that the climate at, th- at that time was, like, we don't want action movies, and police are the greatest heroes of all time. <laughs> Um, so to get a action movie where a corrupt police officer is the villain, um, it's pretty bold, I think. Although obviously they wasn't, they had already made the movie. It wasn't a deliberate choice. Do you think of this as an action movie? Yeah. There's a couple chases and shootouts. I think it turns into one at the end. <laughs> yeah. I felt like the, the climax felt you know reminiscent of an action movie but the rest is more like a character driven <laughs> brooding drama <laughs> i feel like it's quite a turn to like it seems yeah. like i feel like the movie's pretty grounded up into a point and then it becomes like a 90s 80s action movie mm-hmm. <laughs> you know this movie reminded me a lot of it really feels like a tony scott movie yeah it does like a like a tony scott 90s crime movie <laughs> And it's so funny because, like, Tony Scott's last three films before he died all starred Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. I don't remember because I'm not looking at a list right now, but I feel like Taking a Pelham. Maybe, what was that one with, like, was there one with, like, a, like a truck? Unstoppable. A Unstoppable. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's another On one the train. in there. But, yeah, like, that, that's something I want to talk about, too, where Denzel, like, in a way, this is, like, the peak of his abilities. But at the same time, I feel like it also kind of, like, got him stuck in just play, doing like generic action thrillers for like most of the rest of his career with occasional forays into drama. But this kind of became like his... and it, But it's, it's weird because it's only like the last half of this movie. This kind of became mm-hmm. his bread and butter at a certain point. Well, and it's also interesting that he plays the villain in this because he so rarely does that, even though he displays an amazing gift right here uh, just I don't, please let him play magneto please let him play magneto <laughs> he can play villains he won an oscar for it once he'll win another for playing magneto um what's that he he played that gangster right what oh american gangster yeah the american written gangster. by steven zalian steven z alien <laughs> writer of the irishman it's all connected sean it's we did back-to-back weeks where we're doing a movie too where there's like a figure who supposedly assassinated a famous person. Yep. yep. Towards B.I.G. in the last time, Jimmy Hoffa. And we all know that they would have digitally de-aged Ethan Hawke if they could have. 
I want to talk about Ethan Hawke. Are we gonna? Should we talk about the setup first, or when we get into the characters? I think yeah. Let's talk about the creatives. Um, okay. And then we'll include the actors in that, and then we can talk about the plot. Sounds good. So, this is the first time I ever became aware of Antoine Fuqua. It seems like he did a couple other. Are these what just straight up action movies? Whoa! He's yeah. This Chow Yun Fat movie that I used to see this VHS all the time in Blockbuster. So you're talking about the Replacement Killers? Yeah, right? I've never actually seen it. The though. interesting <laughs> thing about the Replacement Killers that I looked up is that John Woo was both a producer on the film and did the choreography of the fight scenes. Ooh! And I'm looking at the top four uh, people in the cast: Chow Yun Fat, Mira Sorvino, Michael Rooker, and Jurgen Prochnow. <laughs> What an eclectic group of people for a 90s action movie. Sounds great. Let's see if the reviews reflected that. Mm. Uh, Roger Ebert called it as abstract as a jazz instrumental and as cool and self-assured. That sounds like a good review. Yeah. Yeah. When when I wrote it abstract, I thought it was going to go in another, another way. But no, good review. Um, yeah, I think uh, both... Uh, Fuqua and the the writer of this, David Ayer, um, grew up in L.A. and sort of had firsthand experience with um, the, the the types of people that show up in this movie. Um, probably less so with the actual two main characters. I don't think they knew corrupt cops like that, but maybe. Um, but they they drew from their own experiences uh, in making this, and, and Fuqua even went as far as to talk to gang members to get permission to film in in neighborhoods um, where they typically don't even let people bring cameras. Um, which is like that to me is uh, is wild to hear that because it's just it's L.A. You anything like <laughs> they make all the movies in L.A. Surely you can find a place that looks like L.A. in L.A. Right. But he mm, wanted that authenticity. No, not really. There are parts of LA that white people don't go to. <laughs> not that Fuqua's a white guy, but you know what I mean. Films, film studios aren't looking there for. Yeah. Oh well, no. I know. Possible shoots. I, I get that they like couldn't. That like that's a place where they wouldn't film. But I'm just surprised that they're. They, it has such a distinct look that like we have to actually go there. Yeah. I mean, who knows if that was necessary, but I guess they were just looking for an extra level of of realness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and those are, I mean, we we talked about Denzel a little bit. Uh, I I like this performance from Denzel, um, especially the at the end when he goes uh, off the rails. Uh, when he, shit. when he gets shot in the butt and he's like, you motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> That's really, and he does this whole rant. That's great. That, like, at least that famous King Kong line is improvised. I wonder if anything else Yeah. Is. This is the movie that all the Denzel Washington impressions come from, too. <laughs> <laughs> Which I appreciated watching it. It's really intimidating, mm-hmm. but, like, funny, too. Yeah, and and I think so much of the first half of the movie is from Ethan Hawke's point of view, and you're supposed to be wondering, is this a test? How sincere is he about what he's doing? Um, and it it takes a talent to not just make it over the top evil, um, but to to actually make you think like, oh, maybe he actually is this really good cop that he has the reputation of being, and he's just 
he's living in the real world. He doesn't have time to be an idealist like Ethan Hawke. And, and, uh, and then there's you find out that's not the case. There's a part of me that thought maybe it would be a twist at the end that he was never a cop at the whole time. <laughs> like, I just thought it was really weird that they start the movie and, like, no one ever goes to a police station. Neither Denzel or Ethan Hawke really ever talked to any other police officers. Like, he's just some guy driving around in his car with a badge. You find out that he's not a cop, and then you find out that Ethan Hawke is just a drug-induced nightmare of Denzel Washington. <laughs> he's just been driving yeah. around not, not being a cop, talking to himself. Go full fight club. <laughs> yeah. There you go. But yeah, so Ethan Hawke is playing the, uh, the rookie. Um, so obviously he's trying to join the narcotics team, so he's been a patrol officer for some amount of time. Um, but it doesn't seem very long. It seems like he was maybe a cop for a year. He said a year, yeah. Um, but Ethan Hawke is looking... He's got to be in his 30s. He looks like the machinist. <laughs> he looks so <laughs> creepy and gangly. This reminds me of back in the day, my dad used to hate Ethan Hawke. Like, yeah? He hated him. He's just like, I don't think he's that good. In, but but I, and like, I feel like his main thing is, looks like a little twerp. It's like watching this movie. It's funny because I really like Ethan Hawke now, but like watching this movie, it's like, I th- I think he's good in it, but like, he does kind of look like a twerp. He's like really skinny. He's got this like scraggly little facial hair. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's kind of creeps me out a little bit. <laughs> it's just weird. I guess like it makes him it works better when he's like going undercover because he looks like he could be like a drug addict guy. Yeah. I wanted to know who are the other people they considered for this part. I read one was Christian Bale, and he turned it down. The Machinist. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe he'd have just looked just as creepy because this is pretty close to when that came out. Well, this is actually probably a little closer to American Psycho, so he would have like ripped. <laughs> <laughs> he'd have done it shirtless. Uh, and it's it's funny hearing out the people that like turned down the um, the Denzel Washington role too, like Gary Sinise and like Tom Sizemore. <laughs> Weird. For sure, he regretted that. Tom Sizemore, who like can't get a job. So they didn't <laughs> originally like, have the white cop black cop dynamic. As I part think of originally it. they taught, thought Latino, and it seems like they went through oh. a whole range of actors, and then somehow they settled on Denzel. It's crazy that it didn't take them that sooner to get to that point. Maybe they didn't think they could get someone of that caliber. Because you know, this is like Anton Fugai's only made. He's made two movies. Nothing with like a huge star though at this point. And like this is like David Ayer's second movie after that submarine movie U five seven U five seven one. So yeah. he's still like an up and coming. Uh, but he also was credited as one of the writers on the Fast and the Furious before this. Oh came out. yeah, yeah. We looked at we looked at David Ayer's background too. He's a he no police experience, but he was in the Navy, so he knows all about submarines. But he grew up like he spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. Yeah. So yeah. And obviously, once Training Day came out, he was like, "Well, I'm going to do movies with." Latino gangsters and corrupt cops, and that'll be my thing. <laughs> did he do Harsh Times, or was he related to that in any he, way? He um, did. Yeah. A oh, Christian Bale that. movie. <laughs> wow. He directed it, too, yeah. Uh, and like, Street uh, Kings, End of Watch, Sabotage. Even Bright like is like a fantasy movie, but it's sort of also about corrupt South Central L.A. police officers. Yeah. <laughs> We gotta watch SWAT sometime, though, you guys. I'm always hearing that it's like a guilty pleasure for a lot of people. Yeah. I want to see End of Watch. I think that's supposed to be like a genuinely like good movie, right? It's kind of like found footagey, but about cops. And I don't know. I assume corrupt. I don't know. Maybe not, or at least sketchy. 
If you're a cop in Los Angeles, you're probably a little sketchy. Yeah, apparently, that's the deal. It's <laughs> probably like a 90% chance you've done drugs or something illegal. But yeah, I think Ethan Hawke, um, besides not having, I, I think, the youthful charm that I was expecting for the character to have, um, still nails it as far as the being a conflicted good person. Uh, and someone who can play off of Denzel's over-the-top evil with his own um, muted confidence and and then later doubt. And, uh, I think I think both both leads in this movie are good. Yeah, I, I wish I had re-listened to it. I remember Ethan Hawke talking about it on uh, when he was on WTF with Mark Maron. He was saying like. He felt like he had to like train himself as an actor, like he was getting in the ring with a, you know, a world class heavyweight or, or something, like mm-hmm. going up against Denzel, kind of one on one in such an intimate way. And he, you know, he holds his own. I think something I want to dwell on as we're going through this podcast. Early on, uh, I was thinking, do you think there's some people who watch this before the re- the reveal that you know Denzel Washington's full on? going to be on villains wiki mm-hmm. that his his methods are like the right way to go about things because there's a couple of times where it's like well maybe that's what you got to do to you, you really have to get you really have basically have to walk that line of being a villain to stop the villains mm-hmm. i'm just i'm wondering it kind of reminds me of like fight club in that respect yeah and just like fight club i think anyone who does believe that is missing the message like, of the I, movie. like I don't think these are good ideas but i bet there's some people like yeah actually yeah that's yeah. how you should do it you should do you should do PCP because he he talks you know about like you have to to protect the sheep you have to become a wolf yourself to yeah. to fight the other wolves or something like that. Um, but by the end of the movie, you realize everything he's done has not been in the name of justice. It's been in the name of making money so he can save his own life. Um, and so the movie's making a very clear case that the guy the the one act that was done selflessly the one good police officer officer doing the one good thing in the movie saves his life um you know i'm talking about him saving the girl from being assaulted yes um and so i think it it's pretty clearly saying this is that he's wrong his methods are bad and the only way to fix that is with good police but for a period of time, some people are definitely on board with Alonzo. I'm, and I'm sure all the way there are people <laughs> all the way. that they see the you end of the You made some good points, though. You made some good points. They're, I'm sure they're like, look, Ethan Hawke arrests one person, right? Denzel. And he gets murdered, so he doesn't even really arrest him. But Denzel, he arrested 1,500 people. Just look at the math. It just comes down to numbers. Uh, the only other piece of background information I had written down before we get into the plot uh, is just to remind people that there was a TV series adaptation <laughs> of Training Day. Um, it starred Bill Paxton as the training officer. Um, and so I wondered if its cancellation was due to his death, but it sounds like um, he died after they shot the first season and they were coming up with a plan for how to do the second season without him, uh, without recasting the part. And then it was canceled anyway due to low ratings. Hmm. So you can probably skip that one. Also, just a couple months ago, it was announced that a prequel movie to Trading Day is being developed. About that, Alonzo? Uh, it'll be Young Alonzo two days before the Rodney King verdict comes out. 
Oh. Will it be digitally de-aged Denzel? Will it be Jay Farrow? <laughs> or will it be Jay Farrow? <laughs> the two options. <laughs> He's a dramatic actor now. He was in that Steven Soderbergh movie. How much younger is Jay Farrow than Denzel? I mean, he's probably like, what, like 34? Was at this point. Let's, let's say, well, I know Denzel Washington was born in 1954. I just know this. <laughs> okay. Jay, Jay Farrow is 32. Okay, so so that, that works. He would be he would actually be even younger than, uh, than Denzel would have been in 1992. Ooh, Denzel's got a birthday this month. Really? He's a December guy. He's turning that 65. surprises me. Good for him. Happy birthday, Denzel. Oh, yeah. This is for you. I still want to see more of your movies. What's John Q like? It's like really important. It's yeah. really serious. That trailer made it seem like it's the most important movie of all time. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like it's not a well-regarded movie. Is that the one I like? It's like at a hospital. He's like, my son needs help. Yeah, his son needs help. So he holds the whole hospital hostage to like get it, force the procedure to happen. Yeah. Wow. It's heavy stuff. Who made John Q? I'm going to look up John Q real quick here. Just, uh, John Q. Nick Cassavetes. Oh. Joint. Also got Robert Duvall, James Woods, Ray Liotta. A lot of old white conservative guys in this movie. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Reviews were very bad, but did pretty well. Denzel movies always do well. That's why, and I don't know if when we'll do this, probably later in the podcast, I'm kind of disappointed that he got kind of got stuck in this. I'm sure he most people wouldn't call it a rut, but for me, it's kind of a rut of just doing these generic thriller movies. Because mm-hmm. I feel like he has so much more potential. Like, what, I guess I don't have much more to say on this, but like, Irwin Flight came out. I was like, a Denzel Washington movie that I want to see. <laughs> you know, not something like Two Guns or Super Train. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> Or like Fences. That was so great to watch Denzel do something like that. Yeah. So I guess that's like that's like the thing that's bittersweet about Training Day. You just see him added like his best, but then like what it set up, at least for someone like me, is like, oh man, didn't really set up a great career of work. But I don't know. I'm sure most people disagree because he's a huge star and makes a lot of money. Just something to think about. Just keep that in the back of your head for the rest yeah, of this I mean, podcast. I'm, look, I'm looking at his filmography and it's like he's, he, he did have a way better 90s than he did have a there's some good stuff in there though like you know inside man and i think man on fire and the equal the first the equalizer are supposed to be like pretty solid if not great but not the equalizer too equalizer antoine fuqua movie right is that true i think so it's all connected sean everything is connected all right let's talk about training day yeah jails because of me judges have handed out over 15,000 man years of incarceration time based on my investigation you got today and today only to show me who and what you're made of you hear me that's it that's what i'm talking about first day on the job you hit a three million dollar seizure police officer get away from the girl no 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 we're not racking up arrest today you let him go what more you want i want justice right? is that I not mean, justice that's street justice what's wrong with street justice oh, I just let the animals wipe themselves out god will you can't be like this open your eyes can't you see Police, so the movie opens uh with our with our man officer jake hoyt i like that name also almost played by toby mcguire that would have been bad. That would have been a real bad. <laughs> that would have been a bad rap. 
like right before Spider-Man. Yeah, right before Spider-Man. He was putting on weight to like get like buff, which is weird because like Ethan Hawke did the exact opposite. Ugh, I don't want to think about that. You know who is in this movie? Who's in Spider-Man? Ooh, <laughs> Macy Gray. Oh, oh right, right, right. Wow. <laughs> Interesting, yeah, that's right. Her brief early 2000s film career. Yeah, how about mm-hmm. that? She sings at the Spider-Man parade. She sings at the Spider-Man parade, <laughs> and she is a drug dealer's wife in this. And what is the name of her uh, her husband in this movie? Oh, Sandman. Sandman. The villain of Spider-Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> it's all connected. Uh, everything's a remix. So uh, Officer Jake Hoyt wakes up uh, and leaves his uh, wife and newborn child after a quick breakfast for his training day. He's excited to be joining the uh, narcotics division led by Detective Alonzo Harris. That's Denzel's character. Very name. small team, like five guys. Or yeah. Too. Um, and uh, he wants to. He knows it's a. It'll look great on his. Uh, resume to have been part of this division he and he's make detective to make detective and, and keep moving up the uh, the ranks of the LAPD um, but things get off to a rough start when he meets Alonzo at a diner and decides not to order breakfast because he already ate which annoys him uh, and then insists on trying to get to know him while Alonso's just trying to read his newspaper. So there's this very awkward moment where Alonso says, like, I read the newspaper for entertainment, and you're trying to distract me, so now you have to entertain me with a story. And uh, Hoyt tells a story about pulling someone over for DUI and finding out that they were actually a uh, on their way to commit a murder, so they prevented a murder with a DUI arrest. And... Uh, Alonso's just like, you're trying to entertain me with a story where a murder doesn't happen? He's, just, he's being a total asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think at this point you're, you're still like, oh, he's just... This guy's serious. He's intense. You know, you gotta... You gotta be on, <laughs> on edge when you're around him because he expects the best. But then things start getting a little weird when he's like, let's go to the office and they jaywalk across the street and you find out that the office is his souped-up Chevy Monte Carlo <laughs> that's a lowrider, and he even makes a point of making the car bounce up <laughs> and down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the ticket takes it off the dash. Yeah. And, and I feel like Q, still Dre, Dr. Dre. That, that part is weird, as you pointed out. Still Dre is an interesting choice for this movie because... Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg are both in the movie. Yeah. And it wasn't written. The, the song had come out a year before this this movie came out. So he's cool. There's also some like, funny new metal in this movie, too, in a couple scenes. <laughs> <laughs> this is such like early 2000s soundtrack. So the first thing they do uh, as police officers is they go to a spot where uh, he knows uh, one of his informants sells drugs. And they catch uh, a group of college kids buying weed. And uh, they don't put a siren on their car or anything. They just drive up and cut off the college kids. 
and they confiscate the weed, but they don't arrest anyone. They Without the, the guns, go. too. Yeah, they they get the guns out, um, but they let the college kids go. You know something I was just thinking about? So the main isn't the, the main college kid? It's Fran Kranz, right? Yeah. So he's playing a college kid in this movie. Didn't he also play a college kid in Cabin in the Woods? How long was he playing college kids? <laughs> just saying. But it's different when you're a stoner college kid. <laughs> you could go to college. Oh, it's like, uh, yeah. If you're like a loser, it's like yeah. John Belushi in Animal House. You can go to college forever. <laughs> go to college forever. Maybe. You're saying Frank Crane's just such a loser in real life that he can just play. Actually, college. what I'm saying is that drug dealers are the only ones with enough money to actually afford to go to college. Ooh. Okay. Uh, so Alonzo makes Jake smoke the weed at gunpoint. I will remind you guys. He it, already, it's still the very early morning, and he's already pointed a gun at Jake. I feel like characters have guns pointed at them like 50% of this movie. <laughs> yeah. um, but then he's saying, like, if, you, if someone offers you drugs on the street and you say no, you're going to get killed. So he's like, he's trying to teach him a lesson. Um, but also, he is playing a devious trick on Jake because that weed is laced with PCP, uh, and Jake immediately gets super high. And this is when I realized a lot of the Wayne Brady, Dave Chappelle sketch was based on Training Day, because there's the scene in that where he gives Dave Chappelle weed. And he's like, I didn't know you like Angel Dust. And it's just like, it's just the same scene as the one in Training Day. But it was on Chappelle's show. And I never knew that until now. Because it's all connected. Did you guys know that? I didn't think about it, but... I guess no is my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so then we get, I think, one of the first big scenes in the movie. Where uh, Alonzo takes Jake to visit Roger, the Scott Glenn character. Originally, Antoine Foucault wanted Mickey Rourke for this part, which would have been yeah, pretty good, but I like the choice they went with. Scott Glenn looking pretty good. Yeah, yeah. not as wrinkly as I remember, yeah. but still a little wrinkly. Looking a little muscular, a little intimidating. I like it. Uh, so they have a conversation. Uh, at this point, they don't reveal that um, Roger has become a drug dealer or they used to be a cop, but I think you can sort of infer at the very least that they... That him and uh, and Denzel were were police officers together at the same time, or they have some sort of connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's a he tells a joke here that um, that Jake has a hard time following because he's incredibly high. Um, but I wanted I wanted to double back on this joke to see if you guys got the meaning out of it. So he tells this joke about a snail, right? The, this guy walks on his porch, he steps on a snail, throws it in his backyard. The snail is dying, but it doesn't die. It eventually heals, comes back, crawls back on the porch. Uh, and the, at that exact moment, the man walks out on his porch again, and, and he says to the snail, the fuck's your problem? And, no, I didn't get it. And, and, and Roger says, you figure that joke out, you'll figure out the streets. So you didn't figure that one out, John? Tell me about the streets, John. Okay. Here's my guess. Your guess? I didn't figure it out. I didn't figure it out either. (laughs) I was hoping you guys figured it out. Mm. Um, 
police officers only interact with criminals when they're committing crimes. They don't see their lives around the times that they commit crimes. Um, and so they don't understand all the hardships that an individual experiences in their life. They just see them at this bad moment. They don't understand their motivations or, or anything else. They just understand the crimes. Baha'i Ethan Hawke was right. That's not funny. That's sad. That's like the opposite of a joke. What's it, what do you call a sad joke? A bummer. A bummer. You guys want to hear a bummer? <laughs> um, but Ethan Hawke counters with his own uh, perspective on the streets. He says it's all about controlling your smiles and your cries. That was good. You like that? I like that. So what did, what did that mean to you? I, didn't, I don't know. I just liked it. You just liked that sound? Yeah. You can't take that away from you. That's right. That's all you have. No one can take that away from you, he says. Why? What do you think? <laughs> you got all figured out just like you figured out in the streets? I just enjoyed the line. Now you're interrogating me about it? <laughs> the, the smiles and cries one, it didn't mean as much to me. I, don't, I, I can't find an inner meaning beyond... Um, you you know you're in control of how you feel about how things are going. Like you can choose to let it get to you, or you can choose to not. Uh, or, you know you can be a pessimist or an optimist, I guess. Yeah. But that's that's not like the streets. That's high just Ethan Hawke is high on wisdom. Yeah, that's true. He's also, we didn't talk about when he's high. He sees like night vision. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> More of that. Um, the last part of this conversation that I wanted to bring up is that Roger says that Alonso was just like Jake when he got started. Do you think that's true, or is or is Roger just making fun of Alonso? Mm, I think it's true to an extent. We'll find out when we see that prequel movie. I assume would be called. That's Alonso. right. We don't even have to think about. It. We don't have to understand <laughs> yeah. the characters or subtext. We'll and just we'll wait get, for a prequel we'll to explain whoever, everything. We'll be a young Scott Glenn. <laughs> young Scott Glenn. I'm going to look at a picture of Scott Glenn real quick. Scott Glenn. I feel like even young he would have white hair for some reason. Um, wow, this is a cool picture. Sean, describe this picture to our listeners. <laughs> All right. So the first thing you need to know is he's not wearing a shirt. Um, okay. It's a black and white photo of Scott Glenn. He's old Scott Glenn, like current old, Scott Glenn. Yeah, he's very mad at you. You can see it in his eyes and his grimace and all his wrinkles. He's very mad at you. Um, his arms are looking super ripped. But also his chest is like folded in somehow because of the way he has his arms out. Where it's just, it's hard to make sense of his body. It's like, is he ripped or is he just old? He's in good shape, but it's hard to tell how good of shape. <laughs> You haven't gotten to the best part, Sean. The best part is he's holding a knife that they would make Rambo weak. It looks like a scimitar. It's the biggest <laughs> knife I've ever seen. This looks like uh, an ad for a Conan movie. It's it's a short sword. But it's shot like a GQ magazine. Yeah. If Colin, if you Google, uh, you know, you can do this in your spare time. Hey, listeners, do this in your spare time and you'll enjoy it. If you're driving, get your phone out. Don't pull over. Just start Googling. I just typed Scott Glenn Young, and the third picture is this black and white picture uh, with him with like a big ass knife sword thing. 
oh, I can't quite place who would be young Scott Glenn. Maybe like Hugh Jackman. Even Hugh Jackman's not that <laughs> Hugh young Jackman. anymore. Somebody. Yeah, yeah, I found this picture. It's uh, it's, it's quite a thing, cool, right? <laughs> I mean, we'll see. you know he looks a lot like David Carradine too, but <laughs> Kevin that's, that, that doesn't get us any closer. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but we'll see when they make Alonzo. Alonzo. Yeah, we're already calling it that. I believe Alonzo was good at some point, but yeah, I think that's I, right. I, yeah, it seems to me like it's it's easy to believe that he was someone who um, realized that that he would get the results he wanted uh, by bending the rules a little bit, and he just kept pushing that line until he crossed over to the other side. Anyway, Jake is still super high after they leave Roger's place, um, but he's alert enough, staring out the window, that he sees um, some an assault happening in an alleyway. And uh, Alonso doesn't want to pull over because he's got his own agenda for the day. Uh, but Jake forces him to, and he runs out, and he runs back to the alley, and he finds two um, drug addict-seeming people um, assaulting a teenage girl and he fights them off and begins to arrest them and alonzo comes and he does not help at all uh he just lets jake fight the two guys and again it's early enough in the movie that you're like well is he is he just like taking this as a test is he just seeing how how jake handles himself or is he a psychopath who's like well maybe this guy will just get beat up and die in this fight but ultimately jake overcomes the two drug addicts and wants to arrest them but since that would derail Alonzo's plans for the day, he doesn't let that happen. Instead, he uh, intimidates both of them and makes them run off. Notably, the uh, the teenage girl also runs away, um, but Jake finds her wallet after she's run away and just puts it in his pocket. Denzel's like, take the money. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, I'm like, I don't know if this Alonzo guy is a good guy. Yeah, just do some crimes. <laughs> hey, crime it up, baby. Um, and yeah, and that they have a that whole I think we we referenced this earlier on the podcast the like conversation about sheep and wolves and um does it matter to take people off the streets and or like what what does justice look like and you know their uh, their values basically they have that conversation in the car um but it leads to them trying to buy crack from a drug dealer played by Snoop Dogg um, who you know Dr. Dre is not a, not a great actor in this movie yeah. but I, I like Snoop Dogg's performance I mean, Snoop Dogg is lucky in that or fortunate in that he can just kind of play himself and it works Yeah, you know you just got to put him in the right movie um, so yeah he's he's good he's, he's convincing mm-hmm. he's done this role in Starsky and Hutch or would go on to at least right <laughs> He had his own sketch show. Oh yeah, Doggy Fizzle Televizzle. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, he's in a wheelchair and he eats the drugs. Yeah. Then Denzel makes him throw up the drugs. How did he do it again? He stuck a pen down his throat. Would that really work that fast? Made me wonder. Like, is that a good technique? Not that I need to know. <laughs> You stick anything down your throat, you'll throw up, right? Uh, but notably, uh, Snoop Dogg gives up the Sandman as uh, his supplier, 
and uh, Sandman's in prison, so they decide to go to the Sandman's wife's house. And that's where they meet Macy Gray as Sandman's wife. Um, and there's a moment where uh, she puts together that the arrest warrant that, or the, the, the warrant to search the house that Denzel flashed is not a legitimate warrant. Um, but he's he's busy searching through the house, um, so it's up to Jake to sort of detain her and keep the peace, um, and he doesn't do a very good job. I think Jake would make a lousy corrupt cop. He's just not very intimidating. He just wants to help people. <laughs> You'd think so, but then wait till the end. Wait till the end. Well, I guess you said it wouldn't make a very good corrupt cop. Then yes, he would not. Um... How do you feel about Macy Gray's performance? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I think um, when you give someone a role, it's just like yell at them a bunch. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of people can live up to that, and and she definitely did it. Yeah. Uh, she uh, the look I really appreciated with the like the sort of like sweat tracksuit that yeah, she's wearing and the long nails and stuff. <laughs> Not bad. Not um, but notably, after Alonzo says that they couldn't find anything, um, and they leave the house, she calls for help. And a bunch of guys start shooting no at Alonzo and Jake. <laughs> um, and to me, this is a pivotal moment because they escape. But knowing what I know about how a police officer's day goes, if you have stopped a violent assault and been shot at, your day's done. You're not still on the streets. <laughs> Um, you have to file a lot. I mean, there are bullet holes in their car that needs to be filed with the police department. If I mean, that's like sidestepping all the like trauma counseling and you know interference with management that they would have to deal with. Um, but I guess you just are like, well, they're corrupt and the LAPD are corrupt, so it's all good. The day's just going to keep going. It's called training day. They gotta get through the whole day. <laughs> they gotta get through the whole day. It's, it's not training night, morning, too. and it's only yeah. It's, I think it's it's, it's about lunchtime at this point, right? Yeah. Um. So they go instead to go visit, um, Alonzo's mistress, who's Ava Mendez. Uh, I don't know why they do this in the grand scheme of his plan i don't know why they went here unless it was just a booty call uh yeah i and i think so they can keep bringing us back to that sketchy neighborhood i guess but there's no reason I, it has I, to be from there. from a from the storytelling of the film yeah for the character the no it doesn't make sense yeah. no it doesn't um yeah it's it, it's <laughs> you're right it's just like so later on in the movie jake knows where to go <laughs> Um, although at that point, I don't know why Denzel goes back there either. Uh, both times he visits Eva Mendez, it seems like the wrong move for him to be making. Um, but the, the I guess the the only thing that matters is that the, it's, it's set up that he has this mistress and they have a, a kid together and uh, and the kid bonds with Jake because they like watch cartoons. Yeah, he's like sleeping up against him. They're like best yeah, buddies. They're like best buddies already. Because he's such a good guy, and kids know. Kids know who's a good guy. They can sense it, like dogs. 
they then go to visit the three wise men. Three recognizable older white guys playing a trio of corrupt high-ranking police Why officials. Not Tom Berenger. Tom Berenger, we recognize. Raymond J. Barry, I recognize because he plays Pa Cox in Dewey Cox, uh, Walk Hard the Dewey Cox story. He plays Dewey Cox's dad. Oh, right. And the judge from Ghostbusters too. Uh-huh. Uh, Harris <laughs> the Ullin. The Brothers? Colin, you know what the opening of Ghostbusters 2? I know you haven't seen it. It's in a courtroom. Mm, yeah, I don't think I know it. The judge is attacked by two inmates that he put away, and they're ghosts on, like, ghost electric chairs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This guy is also incredibly recognizable to me because he guest starred on, like, every 90s TV show I liked. <laughs> he was on Deep Space Nine. He was on 24. He was on Frasier. He was on Buffy. Nice. Uh, that dude got, got around. Um, so at this scene, uh, Alonzo tells this gross story about a guy sticking peanut butter up his butt and then pulling it out and eating it in court oh, so that he would go to so that his insanity plea would go through instead of uh instead of sending him to jail and i think the point of him telling that story is he's telling the three wise men that he is he's he's the type of person who would do that because he'll do whatever it takes to uh, uh in the in the name of self-preservation um, because we don't know exactly what's going on yet, but we do know that they're, they they mentioned something about a Vegas incident and and him needing money. the The outcome of this is that uh, Alonso had stolen like forty thousand dollars from the Sandman house. Oh yeah, a lot. Um, and he uses that to buy an arrest warrant for Roger, the Scott Glenn character from the from Tom Berenger. So here, here's for me where things stop making sense. <laughs> so they have the arrest warrant for Roger. And they go and meet up with the rest of Alonzo's crew. Uh, the other group of corrupt police officers. I didn't recognize any of them except for Dr. Dre. Uh, the, one of them is the bad guy from The Mask. Oh, right. <laughs> one of them's the bad guy from The What's his name? What's the actor's name? Yeah. I don't know. But when he wears the mask, he's really scary. He's really scary. Yes, you ever, Colin, you ever see the mask? Oh, yeah. Very okay. long time ago. Oh, that should be a pick. You guys want to watch the mask? <laughs> I kind of would like Cuban to revisit beats. the mask. Hell yeah. Okay. He's putting on the list. I see him on his phone right now. <laughs> I do have a list on my phone. Um, so here's here's the plan. They break into Roger's house. Hold him at gunpoint. I say this is the plan. This is what they do. Yeah. They hold him at gunpoint, and then they dig up his kitchen where he has a treasure chest buried with uh, $4 million in cash. Because Roger is more than an ex-police officer. He is a drug dealer. And they, they really drive home the point that he's a bad drug dealer. He sells drugs to kids. So it's okay to take his money. And then... Alonzo tries to get Jake to shoot Roger, and Jake won't do it. Uh, he thinks it's a joke, and then Alonzo takes the shotgun and shoots Roger. And he says, "Here's the story." Oh, what do they call that gun? The shotgun. The bitch. The bitch. 
I thought that was funny. I don't know if that's a common thing, but I enjoyed that. There's a lot of uh, slang terminology in this that they don't explain. You just have to accept it. I like that, though. Yeah, it, it adds to the realism. So Alonzo says, here's the cover story. We have the arrest warrant for Roger. We come in raid style to get him. Uh, Roger shoots one of the one of the guys on their crew, and Jake kills Roger. That's that's the story they're going to tell. And this bothers me because why are they bringing more police into this? It seems like all these extra steps to get the warrant, uh, you know, that required them going to the, doing the whole Sandman thing, right, to get the warrant. Yeah. Uh, and then this whole thing where he's going to have to shoot one of the, his own guys and kill Roger. Why does he have to do all that when he could have just that morning killed Roger and taken the money then? Because they would have been able to figure it out too easily. Who would have figured it out? The, the audience? Some, the people the, watching the movie? Like, there isn't any. Like, it seems like everyone's corrupt. Because yeah, they could have just killed him and made it look like it was a drug thing because he's a drug dealer. I mean, Alonzo is not that smart. He's taking a lot of drugs and shit. <laughs> he's him some slack, Sean. <laughs> I think I think the the only, the explanation I came up with was he wanted to do it like this because he thinks it's an airtight uh, story that people won't investigate, and he was worried if a if an ex-cop disappears or dies in gang violence, that um, maybe a, a, an actual good detective would get on the case and begin putting things together and figure it out. Where, where here it's it's open and shut, and so no one's going to look into what happened. I think when you're a villain, and he is one, according to Villains Wiki. Yeah, Villains Wiki made it clear. don't have to make sense. As long as they make sense to the villain, they're fine. Yeah. Because they're not making good decisions. That's why they're a villain. Um, so anyway, they're going. They tell Jake that he's got to admit to being the one that killed Roger, uh, and they try to make him take his share of the four million dollars, but he refuses, and he says he's not going to cooperate. And Alonzo points the shotgun at him, and finally Jake is tired of Alonzo pointing shotguns at him, uh, so he takes it from him. He disarms him, and there's like a standoff. And this is when uh, you start to realize everything that happened today was all part of Alonzo's plan because he explains that Jake uh, has PCP in his system. And so uh, if something happens, they're going to do his blood work and they'll find the PCP and that'll uh, just, you know, screw up his, his uh, reliability yeah. as, a, as someone who could testify against Alonzo. Um, and so with his credibility in question, Jake has no choice but to go along with Alonzo's plan, uh, and the police show up and, uh, and Alonzo and Jake leave, which again, you, you get brought into the station when this happens. I don't think you can just be like, well, I'm going back to work guys. <laughs> we seized $4 million. It's training day, Sean. They can't interrupt trainings. Um, so Alonzo takes Jake to Smiley's house, mm. and Smiley is played by Cliff Curtis from like Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> this movie, he can look however he wants. Yeah, you know, it's Cliff funny Curtis. now that I know who he is. I really don't. Ex- it's hard to believe he's supposed to be a Hispanic person. Yeah, he just looks it's, like it does seem like Freddie he's Mercury. played many. 
<laughs> he's played many different ethnicities. Oh yeah, that's like his thing. Yeah. Also, did you recognize the two guys he was with? I did, wasn't one of them like Tuco from Breaking Bad. Yeah. Yeah, he's the same level oh, of insane. Raymond Cruz. <laughs> he's great. He's very insane. So yeah. much so, I'm like, is that actor insane? He's, he's very intense. He's very good at it. He actually plays it pretty mellow in Better Call Saul, which is funny because he looks like visibly a lot older, too. Okay. <laughs> so he's, I think maybe he's just mellowed out. But the other guy uh, of Smiley's trio uh, is uh, Noel Guglielmi, uh-huh. uh, a.k.a. Search this on the internet. That one cholo from every movie. <laughs> uh, he, so some people say that he's the most typecast actor of all time. Oh wow! Yeah, he's the he's a, a very recognizable uh, Latino gang member in basically anything that has that role. Was he in Harsh Times? Yeah, looks like he was. Are um, you looking at him right now? He's in the Fast, Fast and, and Furious, Furious movies. Yeah. What's his name again? Here, I'll just look it up. Okay. I'm just curious to Noel Guglielmi. He did look familiar, but you could also Google that one cholo from every movie, <laughs> and you'll find him. Here he is. He plays Moreno. Uh, let's see: Street Kings, Gamer, Fast and Furious. I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back around Training Day times. Yeah, this guy is busy. Uh, Gangbanger on X Files. I'm sure you all remember. Yeah, look at some like gang leader. So here's some of the characters he play. He's played Mexican mafia soldier, gang banger, gang leader, uh, Hector Moreno. Um, any other gang leaders? Chico, Paco, Marco, inmate number one, <laughs> Hood, Latino thug, bar thug number two, Manuel. He's Jose. played so many characters named Hector. <laughs> Gangster, Paco Rico, Lord of the Garbage. Cortez, drug dealer. Caesar. Yeah, most of these are just names. Diablo. A lot of thug guy. Mm-hmm. And names like Chino, Cholo, Choco. Yeah. Wow. Good for him, though, like finding a niche. I mean, I'm sure he doesn't like... I'm sure he'd like to do other stuff, but <laughs> he does it well, man. Yeah, at least he's working. Yeah, and he's coming up in the movie Three Solitude as... Hector. Hector. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Alonzo disappears and leaves Jake with Smiley and these two other guys. And they're playing poker, and Jake sits down uh, and joins their game, and Smiley explains to him what's going on. Alonzo uh, did something in Las Vegas that ended up with a member of the Russian Mafia getting killed. And so... Alonzo needs to pay $1 million to the Mafia by midnight or he will be killed. And so everything he did this day was to get that million dollars so he can save his own life. Um, Also, one of the gang members asked Jake to see his gun and Jake just gives it to him, which is really dumb. Oh, I'm going to talk about this when we go into Goose, Sean. (laughs) Come on, Jake. Um, And and, uh, Jake realizes that Alonzo's full-on ditched, and uh, and Smiley is is actually, he's going to kill Jake. So they, uh, 
hit him over the head with a bottle and then drag him into the bathtub and they're just about to shoot him when they decide to steal his money first and when they do that they find the girl's wallet and whoa that girl is the cousin of smiley now i in the moment i like this it was exciting but at the same time i was like the odds of this happening are amazing Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I guess I like it because like this is a movie. It's fine. Like we're now in like full action movie mode, so it's okay for that. But it's it's a little ridiculous. But like, how else was it gonna get out of that yeah. situation? I'll, I'll roll with it. Like I said earlier, I like that it's like the the one non corrupt like thing that. paid off I and saved like his that. life. That's that's good. Um. So Smiley calls the girl, which I like too, because as the tension of you think, oh, maybe she's not gonna admit what happened and and cover for herself and um instead she, she she explains what happened and smiley spares jake's life and so jake takes the bus to go get some revenge and this is the action part of the movie he goes back to ava mendez apartment where alonzo has returned again for what reason i don't know he has the million dollars why doesn't he go take the million dollars to the mafia One right last now leg. <laughs> Again, booty call is the most likely explanation, but it's like, come on, man, chill out. He's a uh, villain, Sean. He's like rational decisions. He is an evil hyphen doer. And 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 you know, Ava Mendez is naked at, when when we see him, so it, it seems like it was a booty call. Yeah, of course it was. Um, but but that's it. It was just a booty call. Uh, whatever. Uh, Jake gets there. They hold each other at gunpoint. The, the boy sort of acts as a human shield for both of them. There's a chase. The, the cool part of the chase for me is they're jumping from rooftop to rooftop and Jake doesn't quite make it and he's like hanging from this ledge and below it are scary looking barking dogs and also a pointy fence where it's like, oh shit, he's going to get impaled and eaten by dogs if he falls. A lot of broken glass. A lot, a lot of people yeah. going through glass. Yeah. Just there's... It is crazy. I like... It's so weird going to this movie. I thought I really didn't know that much about Training Day. I didn't even know that uh, Denzel was like a full-on villain before going into it. Like they became an evil doer at the end. <laughs> so it was so weird to see this movie that for like the first hour is like a solid like drama, mm-hmm. like a gritty drama that turns into full-on like yeah '90s Tony Scott action movie. Yeah. in the last half, like it's really entertaining. It's really fun to watch, but it's one of those things where it's like. I feel like I like the first half better, though. But this is still fun. It's just different. Yeah, Denzel's like, I'm a fucking surgeon with a shotgun. It's like... Whoa. He has, like, a shotgun attachment under his bed. There's a part where, like, before they get leave the apartment, he's, like, under the bed, and there's, like, a thing that the shotgun hooks onto the bottom of the bed so he can fire from under the bed. From under the bed. <laughs> Clean shot. Should've, something should have caught fire. They, they, <laughs> they, they missed out on an opportunity to make it even more cool. They should have something catch fire. I think for me, the, the most ridiculous point of this altercation is when Denzel gets away, gets in his car, and Ethan Hawke, like, jumps onto the car. He's so hurt at <laughs> yeah. this point, too. And then he's just driving with him on the hood of the car, and it's like, he should be dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he keeps smashing into other cars to try to throw Jake off, but instead he ends up sort of totaling his his sweet ride. Um, and so uh, Jake rolls off the hood, and Alonzo is more hurt, and he's kind of stumbling um, so for, for the first time, Jake has him at gunpoint, and Alonzo's like, "You're not going to shoot me. Uh, I'm a cop. You can't. You couldn't shoot another cop in the back." The Batman problem. Yeah, the Batman problem. Can't kill. 
Well, no, the Batman problem is is when he when the neighborhood shows up and he says one of you should kill uh should kill Jake for me and I'll pay you and nobody is willing to do it because he's betting that the people who live in this neighborhood are going to choose the evil option. I just meant that Batman doesn't kill people. I know what oh, you're saying. Oh, I was, I was talking about the, the, the Dark bomb, Knight the, fairy problem. The big guy, Tiny Lister from Universal Soldier, when they hand him the control yeah. and he won't do it. Remember when the boats didn't... Was it from Lego Batman? Remember when the fairies didn't blow up? Yeah. It's funny, yeah. That, that we, I feel like we mentioned that as we are watching it, too. But no, I was just talking about how like, Batman's just so good. You yeah. can't kill. can't kill. Uh, and this is... Yeah. Um, but uh, Alonzo bends down to pick up his gun, and Jake shoots him in the butt. Which is great. <laughs> they don't even like. They don't even make blood school like like. <laughs> they don't sell the effect at all. They they just like did so. Sean did this little gesture as if they were gonna have a shot where like he shoots in the butt and then blood. Sp- batters out yeah, of the like butt. Yeah, like a squib explosion from he his butt. Him, like, I just imagine he shoots him like in the butt hole and just blood comes out. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't... I think it shot him in the cheek. I don't think he shot him in the hole. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, looked, looked like, like a, a cheek shot. shot. Cheek shot. I gotta look up... Dude, that'd be a, such a great letterbox list if people get shot in the butt in movies. There's gotta be a ton. <sighs> Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Yeah. Um, it's all connected. Also, Ethan Hawke was considered for Batman and Batman v Superman. In Batman v Superman? Yeah, but of course he's like, fuck superheroes. Of course. <laughs> yeah, he is reprising his role as his Purge character in the Purge series. That's like good. That's yeah, like a cool thing. That's art. <laughs> that's art. That's, art. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, this is the Denzel's best, best part of the movie. Oh, it's yeah. so good. He's yelling at Jake. He's yelling at the neighborhood. He's talking about King Kong. It's, it's the scene everyone talks about, and and for good reason. It's delightful to watch. It's 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 like intimidating and funny and sad. It's great. Um, but it's it's also weird because Jake walks away with the money and Alonso's badge, and the neighborhood's like, "You're good, Jake. You can go." Sort of setting up, like, is the neighborhood going to kill Alonzo? Oh, yeah. This is the... It uh... did seem like... <laughs> Go ahead. Like, earlier in the movie, they are kind of talking shit about him. Oh, and we forgot to mention, Terry Crews is just one of the people in the He's neighborhood. So bu- and he looks Yo. the same. And he looks exactly the same, <laughs> even though it was 19 right. years ago. I was just going to say, this is the Roadhouse ending, where it's like, yeah, band it's, together for a murder. It seems like the Roadhouse ending. <laughs> But it's not because the next scene is Alonzo driving his beat up car. Oh, I guess it's not. Yeah. And they show uh, a sign LAX like next exit. So he's he's trying to flee town, but the uh, Russians show up and surround him at an intersection, and shoot him a million times. Which I did appreciate that. I was like, I don't know if the scene needed to be here, but the part where he gets out of the car and they shoot him and he's like, oh, you know, <laughs> rattling his body around because he's being Trying riddled to do with some a- great physical acting on our end. He's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> He's getting riddled with hundreds of bullets. It's a, it's a fitting death for this character. Um, and the movie ends with Jake returning to his home, and you hear on the TV or the radio um, that the you know uh, uh, accomplished and beloved civil servant has been murdered. So that's the story. No one's going to ever know how bad things were. Do you think he passed the training? <laughs> I. <laughs> 
think that's for us to decide. <laughs> oh, nice. I like that a lot. Denzel should show up at the end and be like, you passed the test. I'm not actually dead. <laughs> <laughs> now that would be a twist. But then he double-crossed him, because it's always good to have a twist on top of a twist. Oh, yeah. Just keep twisting. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take a minute to read the Denzel Washington Alonzo Harris Evil Doer wiki page. Let's do it, yeah. I just like how on the side they have like their stats. That's the part I like. And it's so not it's, that So funny. it's like an evil trading card. It's like his evil trading card. So full name, Alonzo Harris. Uh-huh. Um, alias... Detective Sergeant Harris, Detective Harris, Origin, Training Day, Occupation, LAP, LAP Detective. Powers slash skills. Mm-hmm. High intelligence. Strength. Yeah. Manipulation, charisma, firearm skills. Strength? <laughs> just strength. Is there a point where he's just super strong? Not really. Strength. Definitely manipulation, charisma. Mm-hmm. High intelligence, yeah, for the most part. The plan doesn't always make sense. There's the part where you're saying his plan's dumb. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to scratch that one, actually. Okay, uh, this is this next part is really the only reason I wanted to read this. Hobby. Why does the, why do we need a hobby section for our villains? <laughs> do you guys want to know what Alonzo Harris' yeah. hobbies are? are his hobbies? His hobbies are um, driving around. <laughs> Sounds about right. Smoking cigarettes and threatening and or killing people. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a hobby that's just like what he does on the side <laughs> threatening and or killing people uh, and then he doesn't just, yeah. really seem like he enjoys it and then the only other things are uh, goals uh, his goal is kill officer Jake Hoyt and steal money in order to pay off a large debt to Russian gangsters and then in parentheses failed <laughs> Uh, crimes, armed robbery, assault with a deadly weapon, attempted murder, coercion, forgery, murder, obstruction of justice, uh, spoliation of evidence, and then the last thing is type of villain, sociopathic official. Ooh, sociopath. You think he's a sociopath? I don't know. And he's got an image gallery and then just stuff that happens in the movie. Some Oh, there's some trivia. Won many awards. for. That's pretty vague. Uh, he's a hidden villain because he makes himself out to be a cop. Yeah, a fun. That's a fun fact. He doesn't make himself out to be a cop. He is a cop. That he's based on Rafael Perez. Yeah. And uh, original idea was to have Alonzo get away with his dirty deeds. However, Denzel Washington suggested that Alonzo get a comeuppance. I wonder if the original script is different then. Oh, Because they yeah. went through so many other actors before they got to Denzel. Another one I read while we were going through this, Bruce Willis was offered wow. this. Wow. Can you imagine how boring that would have been? <laughs> Uh, King, King Kong ain't got shit on me. Yeah. Oh. Do you think he'd wear the hat? No, he'd just do it bald. He'd just do it bald. It's funny because I think Tears of the Sun was uh, was the next uh, Fuqua movie. That starred Bruce Willis. So they got him. They struck up something. I feel like if he wore that hat, he'd just look like Neil Pert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do a little drum solo at the end. Uh, do you guys think this like uh, this movie got a lot of Oscar attention? Do you think it's deserving of that? For the acting, this? yes. Yeah. Um, I think you know for, for the writing too. I think this is a quotable and and well paced movie. Uh, it's it's it hooks you in. You're having a good time watching it. I I think that's it's it's, it's weird because it doesn't seem like Oscar. I just yeah the script's good I just don't know if it has anything to say particularly 
profound about I don't know crooked cops. Yeah, well, I think that last half needs some needs some reworking. Because the I, first like hour is so good, it's really good for a big stretch of time, and the last yeah. half hour it's not bad. It's just different. It's weird. <laughs> I think if you retooled like I, that a little bit. Um, yeah, like I think it it could have set it up, itself up to be something a little more I don't know dramatic in the end instead of just like devolving into an action movie. But as as it is, it's 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 pretty good as as, as kind of a half action movie, half drama. We just need to think more about the snail joke, then we'll get it. Yeah, maybe <laughs> then we'll understand the streets. But I think that does wrap up everything I want to talk about. But there's always time for John's goofs. There is. Before we do that, Sean, what was your letterbox rating on this? Um, I haven't have given it one it? yet. I think I think this is a solid three and a half, four I star movie half, for yeah. me. I had a good time. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because now, like, my perception of David Ayer is that guy sucks. But it's nice to go back and watch this. Like, oh, this is he was he's good in times. <laughs> Just like when you see a Suicide Squad, you're like you're like, oh my god, this is so bad. I can't imagine this person ever doing anything good. And then, but it's happened. Bright, Jesus yeah. Christ, bright. He's, done, he's had some. People like end to watch. People like some of the other stuff we mm-hmm. talked about. That's cool. John's Goose. So what I've really liked doing for John's Goose recently is not even finding like the best goofs, just finding the ones that are worded the funniest, or mm-hmm. like where it seems like people had a beef with certain things. And this one is a fair beef. I just really like how this person wrote it. It's in regards to him giving the gun. I just This person seems really upset by that part. So I'm going to read it how I feel like it was written. Uh, this is under plot holes in the goof section of IMDb. Uh-huh. A police officer with more than, just more than year or so of training would <laughs> never, all caps, give his soul weapon unloaded or not to another person especially a known gang member this is such a clear violation of department guidelines as well as basic personal safety standards that its presence in the film is almost laughable jake had no reason to trust the gang members and no other means of protection had they drawn weapons on him giving away or even showing off his farm was a decision so poor that it was an indication of his lack of ability to be a police officer much less an undercover detective yeah so that is a person who's like alonzo is right i'm on his side <laughs> really, there's a lot of typos that i had to like try to skip around jake doesn't belong on the streets he doesn't get it yeah i mean i think you could defend that by saying hey he was stoned he's been drinking yeah uh he's been shot at twice he was involved in a murder uh, he's probably not making the best decisions at this point. He's also contemplating if his whole career is ruined. So uh, even though I also brought up that same complaint, I, I wasn't nearly as offended as this individual was. This, so There's what? one, and I always do like a real one that I actually do like. Uh-huh. Uh, when driving the Monte Carlo, the transmission shifter is in park. <laughs> so clearly they're on probably like the car was on like a wagon that was yeah. towing them around. <laughs> Makes sense. Because they got to act... You can't act and drive. You guys ever eat and drive? Oh, all the time. What's the worst thing you've ever eaten while driving? Cheeseburger. Eh, that's understandable. Lots of people do that. Colin, I don't. You don't strike me as someone who eats and drives, but has it happened? No, I don't do it often. The last time I remember doing it is I was driving back from San Francisco to Seattle in one day. I think I stopped at a McDonald's drive-thru in Oregon and got chicken McNuggets because I figured that's like <laughs> the least messy food I could eat while driving. Were you not dipping them? No, I wasn't dipping them. Oh, not a dipper. 
That's so Colin to not use condiments. <laughs> but I mean, you can't use them when you're driving. Okay, my two. Yeah. I have two. There's a two way tie of the two things that are worst things I've ever eaten. And I've dropped shit all over the place. I've made huge messes driving and eating. But the two worst experiences I had um, a hard shell taco from Taco Bell. Ooh, because yeah. you, I didn't think about that. You kind of have to eat a taco kind of sideways, and the mm. shell is breaking apart, and that shredded cheese gets everywhere. <laughs> but I think my number one worst food driving experience was i got a churro from costco really why is that so bad it's because just it is so messy my hands were coated in sugar oh, it was such a fucking dusted. mess oh, i was no. getting dusted from head to toe <laughs> in that churro sugar and i just couldn't get it out man i had to just sit in it brutal yeah but yeah, that's my hobby. Yeah. Just driving around, <laughs> driving and eating just, in park. Because it's just a good hobby. Just driving around, smoking cigarettes, threatening and/or killing people. <laughs> Those are all great hobbies. Uh, so I think that does wrap up our uh, discussion of training day. Unless anyone else had anything to add, I guess not. Um, so then it's time to talk about the next pick, and that belongs. To John. So I feel like Sean was trying to guess my pick off podcast recently and that made me mad. <laughs> so I'm almost like, I'm not going to pick it now, but I probably still am. Did but you I'll tell point you, a gun at his head? I did. I had, a, I had a gun in one hand and a churro in the other. <laughs> sugar head to toe. Some of the movies I considered, though, that I think would be fun Christmas movies, I, I hope to watch it just by on my own uh, uh-huh. season, anyways. Want to watch Krampus again? That'd be a fun one to watch. Uh, I would have guessed that. Um, Arthur Christmas. For maybe just, maybe just a good thing that I haven't seen. And then I was so close to picking Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, just because that's the movie with the famous Garbage, Garbage Day. Day. Yeah. But I've, I have to talk about Love Actually, you guys. we got to do Love Actually because it's a beloved Christmas movie that I don't like, and I feel like there's a lot to t- talk about. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I don't know. There's so many stories. I think we can break it down by, because I think the thing that people don't think about is as a whole, it seems fine for a lot of people. But if you break down just each story as a whole, I think like the stories are pretty weak. There's only like one or two that are acceptable. Most of them are like this is terrible. <laughs> but since it's strung together with all these other narratives, you're distracted. But I think. We can uncover. So, it. are we just gonna go story by story so that we, we can, can really just take them as um, as their own separate things? That's what I want to do, and we'll okay. see how good it is then, huh? Yeah. Because still, I'm always seeing best Christmas movies. It's always there, always in the top ten. It's high up, man. People love this I mean, movie. Yeah. It's easy for Christmas movies to get a pass if it's just like kind of okay. Do you think maybe you'll have softened on it because you liked yesterday? No, but I maybe will have softened on it just because I feel like I was so hard on it the first time that I can't imagine getting any harder on it. (laughs) If that makes any sense. (laughs) The idea of getting harder on it. Getting harder on it. I'm getting harder on this one. I'm going to be like that guy on the uh, the Training Day Goose page, <laughs> writing in all caps, screaming at the movie. This is so illogical. It's laughable. It's even in the movie. Are we to believe? I'm going to start my review. How you doing? 
Well, that concludes this episode of The Pick. You can look for our Love Actually Christmas special next week um, and find our content. We're posting on our blog, mildlypleased.com, and other podcasts we've done by searching Mildly Pleased on iTunes or whatever else. It's all there. It's all good, baby. Whatever you use. So, until that next time, thanks for listening.